set of page numbers. So as we hear the word of the Lord, will you uh, just say a quick prayer with me? So God, we know how touchy talking about money can be, but you uh, did so without fear and full confidence. And so we trust that your words are wise. We trust that your message is purposeful. And we trust that you, Holy Spirit, had this story included in the Bible so that we could continue to be shaped by it. So we pray, God, that you will cut through any shame that anyone has about money and the way that they've used it or what they're doing with it right now. The shame that we might feel as we hear this story and uh, feel convicted personally about what we've been doing with our possessions and our attitude towards those things. And we pray that instead of having our shame be the loudest voice, the invitation from you will be the thing that we experience as the loudest. In your name we pray. Amen. So this is the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, that is Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul. You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. So remember with parables, one of the thing that we're one of the things that we can look for to help us understand the story is what is the surprising element? What is the thing that Jesus uses that's very normal for the time and the place, but then he uses it in an unexpected way? So last time he used the story of the friend who goes knocking at midnight. And he words it in such a way that he shows how uh, the surprise is that the friend would, the, the person who is at the door, behind the door, would say, no, I'm not giving you anything. That's the surprise, because the norm would have been, yes, I will give you everything you need. So the surprise was the reaction that the guy behind the door would give. That was the surprise in last week's parable. So what is the surprise in this week's parable? And the second question is, how does that surprise relate to the surprise that we hear in the question and conversation that happens leading up to the telling of the parable? Because this parable does not come in a vacuum. 
The parable comes as a result of a conversation that Jesus has with this man in the crowd. So Jesus has been doing some teaching in this, in this crowd, for this crowd. And it's one, one scholar says, it's almost like this guy was just waiting for this chance to ask Jesus this question about, about dividing the inheritance with his brother. Because it doesn't really connect with anything that Jesus was talking about before. So it's almost as though like there's a pause, and then this guy's like, teacher, tell my brother to give me what's mine. That's odd, isn't it? That's a surprising thing. And it's surprising for multiple reasons. It's surprising because it comes out of the blue, so it shows that this is on this guy's mind. He's thinking a lot about this inheritance that he wants. And it's a surprise because it's not the norm. So under Roman law and under Jewish tradition... If one brother said, I want my inheritance when their father died, they were required to, to split it. But the ideal, the way it was supposed to be, was that brothers kept living in harmony with one another, and they did not split the estate. So they did not ask for their inheritance, but they continued to share it as a family living together. So the surprise in this story is that, well, in, this, in the conversation, is that this man has come to Jesus to get Jesus to be on his side because he is consumed with getting what he thinks is his and what is his right, ignoring the community, ignoring his family. And it helps us understand the prodigal son even more, that story. Because the even more shocking thing in the prodigal son story, the even more surprising thing in the prodigal son story, is that the son asks for it even before his dad has died. So do you see how surprise works to catch us off guard and make us think and focus our attention? So now that our attention is focused on the fact that this guy is consumed with getting his inheritance the way he wants it, for himself, without regard for his family or the community, Jesus says, be on your guard because greed will not end. You will get the thing you want, but you will still be hungry. Your life is not measured in the abundance of your possessions, Jesus tells him. And then he tells them all this story, prompted by this interaction. And what does this man in the story have in common with the man who asked the question about getting his inheritance? Well, first of all, the story says the land produced abundantly. The story does not say that this man worked hard and produced a good crop out of the fruit of his labor. It says the land produced abundantly. Who makes the land produce abundantly? The land produced abundantly, and yet listen to the man talk. Listen to the man talk. I want to read it again. 
he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said again to himself, I will do this. I will pull down my, my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store, I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will, I, see, it's, there's so many, I can't even keep up with them. I will say to my soul, soul, talking to himself, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Who's missing? Not just God is missing, but his family is missing. His community is missing. He's making all of these decisions on his own. He's only got himself to talk to. He's not talking about this with this, his community. And this would have hit the people really, like, in the forehead. Because this is not the way that they lived. This is the way we live, though. We make our plans. We have our retirement savings plan that maybe we talk with a financial advisor about and maybe with our partner about. But when are those plans ever a community decision in our midst? Huh. And... How often do we think about this is what we have earned? This is the fruit of our labor. It's only fair that I have control over making the plans. Right? Also, we get this messaging all around us all the time. You worked hard for your money. Make it work for you now. I'm not saying that that's bad or wrong. I'm just saying that that is the overriding narrative and drive for most of us and most of the people in North America. But it's the land of God that has produced so abundantly. It is the gifts of God that have been given to us. It is not because we are more special or better than anyone else that we have this abundance waiting for us. And we have more than we need if we're like this man in the story. What could he have done with all of those extra crops that the land produced? He could have shared them. He could have sent them away to other parts of the world where the land was not producing so abundantly. Because listen to the question that God says to him. When he says, fool, and we'll go back to that word in a minute, fool, your life is being demanded from you today. Who will get all of this stuff that you have stored up? No one. Or maybe because there is no one, it will go out and actually do some good now. But it could have done good already. There's no one for you to leave this to, but it will do good because God is good. 
the language of demand, or maybe your Bible has the word required, your life is being demanded of you tonight, your life is being required of you tonight, is the same language that's used about loans in the ancient Near East. Your life is on loan to you. Not just your money, not just your possessions, but your very life is on loan to you from God. It is not your own, but you belong in body and soul. We have sung the song. And so, it is the aloneness is what happens when you live your life of being rich toward yourself. And the invitation is when you live your life being rich towards God. Oh, I told you I'd go back to the fool for a second. So the the particular word that God uses when he calls this man a fool is the word that implies that you have no life, no soul, no, no sense of self, that you have lost connection to the very meaning and purpose of life. And that is the greatest foolishness there is. So fool, he says, you have been disconnected, and now what? Now what? Where will all your riches go? Who will remember you? Ken Bailey says this is what God is yelling at him. Look at what you have done to yourself. You plan alone, you build alone, you indulge alone, and now you will die alone. And so it is for those who are not rich towards God. Now listen, friends. I know that there's no one here that's going to be on the lifestyles of rich and famous, even if, 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 even if that show's still airing. None of us here are living these extravagant lives. Many of us here are living out of a deep sense of God's generosity to us, that we want to give back some of that generosity to him by being rich towards God. But... There are ways where we are tempted by these same narratives and greediness. There are ways where the fear that is used in our marketplace about security for our future meets the greediness that exists or the propensity for greediness that exists in each of us. There are ways, and that is why Jesus says, be on guard. Be on guard. And what if we thought about being rich towards God, not just with our possessions, not just with our money, but also with our other resources, like with our vote? What if we thought about being rich towards God? You don't have to come with me here if you don't want to, but I want you to think about it. What if we thought about being rich towards God with the way our taxes are used? Would that change how we felt? about how much we have to pay in taxes if we saw the goods and services that are being provided for other people in our community by them? What if? What if that is a way that we can be rich towards God? 
And what if we continually become people who don't think about what is our rights and what is fair, but what is the thing that allows us to be rich towards God? And what if we settle down with our preoccupation as a, as a people— because not everybody has this, but what if we settle down our preoccupation as a people with saving enough to retire, or even better, to retire early? Or if we do retire early, it's not so that we can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Because our life is not the sum of our relaxing, eating, drinking, and being merry. That's a life that is disconnected from its actual purpose. That is what Jesus is saying in this story is the foolish life. A life that does not have the substance of our God in it. And that is not to say that we're all sackcloth and ashes, right? But it is learning contentment and growing in generosity. You know, most of us, when we have stuff, we find that that stuff becomes controlling. Oh, I got to fix this at my house. Oh, I got to do this in the yard. Oop, this is what's broken on the boat now, right? Like, our stuff does take energy to control and take care of. And we don't think of it as greed. We think of it as being responsible. And there is truth in that. Right? See, see how the lines just get a little bit murky? And it's all about paying attention to the intention in your heart. Do I want a nice lawn so that my neighbors are impressed with me? Do I want to go on the boat every day because my job is so stressful, I just need to be away from the people? When the gifts of God become the symbols of our status, When the gifts of God become these things that we hoard for ourselves instead of sharing with others, we lose our connection to our purpose, which is to be people who are blessings to one another. And we are a generous community, but I think sometimes we, along with everyone else, can fall into the trap that we have been generous enough. Because sometimes that is very true. But sometimes we set the limit for our generosity and we don't go back and reevaluate it. And we don't challenge ourselves to become more generous. So did you know uh, the stats? Do you know the stats on charitable giving in Canada? So 2016, the average charitable gift that was receded on taxes for all Canadians was $300. For some of us, that's more than we give. For other of us, that's like what we give in one offering. What would happen if you thought about the way that you showed generosity to the charities that you gave to, along with all of the other ways that you show the generosity of God with your time, with the money that you give that is not tax-receipted, with the resources that you share, 
and did an inventory about how rich towards God you were versus how rich towards your family's security, your safety net for the future, all of those things. What would happen, I wonder? What might you notice? Maybe you'll notice that you're doing a great job. And you give God thanks for it because you've, become, you've grown in your generosity so much, it's like a, a habit that you don't even notice anymore. And maybe you'll find that there is a way that you can increase your generosity and show richness towards God. Because here's the thing. God's economy... is that when we are rich towards him, he takes those things and he multiplies them for his good. This is the way we talk about ministry shares in our denomination, and this is the way that we talk about ministry giving to the general fund here at this church, and how they talk about it at Loaves and Fishes. So I think, Peter, your guys' number is better than, the, than ours at the moment in terms of church impact. Uh, but the, the stats are based on a study from 2016 that every dollar that is donated to a faith community, so a charity, uh, that's doing the work of like we are doing here, does almost $5 worth of good for the city. Every dollar does almost $5 worth of good in the city. It's $4.77. What's the number now at Lowe's and Fishes, Peter? No, no, it's not. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm layering the fact that the generosity, $6. So I told you you're doing better. That's fine. You guys have a different, you guys have a different focus. It's totally fine. So every dollar that goes to loaves and fishes produces $6 worth of food. Is that right? Close enough? Yeah, so that's right. The way that God takes our generosity and overabundantly provides for it whether it be physical food, whether it be at this church through the, the way we open up our building at a discounted rate for people who rent, for different needs-based groups, whether it be for the people who Pastor Kelly and I make ourselves available to in this community as a church, as well as people from the city of Nanaimo when they are going through times of need and hardship, in the equipping work of you becoming more Jesus-like people who live your life wherever you are in this city, doing God's good work, Uh, in the programs that we help support, like Youth for Christ, like Rainbows, like UCM at VIU, through all of these things, God takes the riches that we are giving towards him to do his kingdom goodness. But when we are uh, focused on ourselves, we become disconnected from that goodness. We become disconnected and focused on what we have said in our minds is the right thing for us to do. Instead of understanding that none of it's ours anyway. So why not? Why not just be, woo! with it. This, this is, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir and to convict the self here. I got an email just a couple of weeks ago about somebody who was looking for housing and they didn't have, they needed to start a job and they didn't have an option. And I was like, oh, am I willing to let someone move in with me? 
for a few weeks? Am I really willing to be generous with this resource that I have? Oh, I don't like the sound of that. And it didn't end up happening. (sighs) And the relief I feel about that still causes me some guilt that I need to work out with God, but I did make the offer. Woo! Like this is a growing, this is a growing journey for all of us. But the invitation to us is to set our minds on Jesus so that our lives are truly being rich towards him. And we're going to sing You Are My Vision now as our song of commitment and prayer to trying to follow that way. <laughs>